Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Scratch Cinema Podcast. Continuing social distancing, doing all that stuff, but watching some good stuff that's coming out. As always, I'm your host, Chase, and today I am again joined by Quinnell. She is just an aspiring cat lady waiting on her Tiger King. Welcome, Quinnell. <laughs> that's a good one. I know, it was a pretty good one. Uh, hi, happy to be here as always. I also wanted to pick it because I was at the beginning, because we promised last week, going to reference how I did see the new Tiger King episode, if you can call it that, um, even though it was just an after show. You didn't see it, but that's okay, because I'm just mostly going to dump on it for like two seconds. Um, it was not good. It just was, I mean, it was never going to be good, but it wasn't even particularly interesting. I don't think Joel McHale as a host was particularly good it just sort of was them asking a few questions that were moderately interesting kind of talking about the memes seems like everyone kind of is mad at joe um but the biggest thing i just sort of am taking away from it is it's kind of becoming a little too sleazy and leaning into it a little too much there was also the story about the director being someone who owns a bunch of restaurants and had fired a bunch of people and that just means no one is coming out of this being good. So I kind of feel gross about Tiger King now. Um, but I mean, you were well on the way to feeling. Gross I know, but this just reaffirmed right. it. Um, yeah, you could watch it if you were really, really curious. But I just hope this this is the death of it, and I think it will be, just because it wasn't that interesting. But we are going to talk about something much more interesting, which is a show we both just saw the finale of literally moments ago, and that is Devs. Or, or spoiler, spoilers, because that's part of it. We're about to spoil the whole show because the reveal is that the V was not a V. It was a U. And that makes sense. And I kind of was getting that vibe for a lot of it because I was like, who shortens like developers to devs? It already sounds kind of lame. And so I I liked it. I I definitely didn't see the change coming. I, I had a feeling there would be something like that because like I saw the ending coming, but the whole the little little pun of language I, I didn't expect that, but it was cute. Oh no, it was real cute. Um, but yeah, what were your thoughts generally on on the show and and how it kind of all wrapped up? Oh, there's so much. Okay, um, start with so, the beginning. What what you got? Okay, well, I'll start with more generally. I think it's interesting that devs was a, devs as the department not just as the show was designed to show the truth and so it's sort of the show's about tech companies founder has like a really clear aim and then there's a more obscure aim so Mm -hmm. the former is to just make sense of his daughter's death and his role in it or lack thereof and you know he's clearly sort of fighting with this sense of guilt that the death of his daughter and his wife might have been his fault and because he was talking to her on the phone phone, and she doesn't like to talk on the phone to begin with and that is Mm -hmm. sort of revealed through later iterations of that scene and the second is to resurrect his dead daughter which i don't think is as clear of a goal i mean i think the um foreshadowing of it is pretty heavy-handed though yeah Um, the giant statue in the middle of the forest well not even that there's um there's a scene where they first start um showing how the system works or how they rendered the system. Um, so, you know, starting with the clock and the shell and the dead mouse. And then mm-hmm. later on in that episode, you see Katie and Forrest sort of soundlessly discussing the project. And there's the image in the background of the mouse alive and interacting with its surroundings. Like she's put down a block of cheese next to the dead mouse and the image shows this live mouse eating the cheese. Mm-hmm. So I guess I was sort of waiting for how he was going to resurrect his daughter. But he never I, was going to. But he did. Mm. It, well, I think as far as, as he intended to, he did. And I, I wasn't sure they were going to be able to wrap up that plot in this episode. And that's really what I was concerned about because I read that, you know, this is a limited series. They don't have any current intentions to make a second season or anything. And so I just wasn't sure how they were going to manage bringing his daughter back. Right. And I think I think the conclusion was was a little bit more sad because he'd originally been opposed to this being the way that they would fix it because mm-hmm. it was based upon what he considered to be a false uh, world, Lyndon's yeah. principle. 
and kicked out Lyndon over this. Um, but then it, at the end was like, well, I guess I'll just accept it. Um, and that'll yeah, be... It's so odd. Yeah. I mean, it's a sad ending. It's It's pretty sad. And I think it's like deceptively sad because even Lily getting to hug Jamie at the end is fake. That's not yeah. Jamie. And it's... Well, I think that there's an argument to be had about whether or not whether or not anything is real, more real or less real than the simulation. So here's why I would say no, or at least why I think the show is leaning no, is because Lily makes a choice at the end by throwing the gun out of the elevator. And that's a real choice. It goes against what their projection was, which seems to indicate there are some things that the simulation cannot predict, that there are parts of human nature that cannot be calculated via data. Even if you put in a huge amount of data where you account for everything possible and you have the computing power to do it, Lily was still able to make a choice. And I Absolutely, thought... but I don't think that Lily has been stripped of her ability to make the choice by being put in the simulation. And I think that's what Forrest was really saying when he was talking to her in that last scene. They're having a conversation about how they're the only ones who know that they are in a simulation and that he, there was something about her that he didn't want to change. And it was that ability that she seemed to have that was, I mean, I, I want to say unique to her, but so far as the plot of the show was unique to her. And I feel like that was the ability to choose and to, the ability to make things go awry. And I don't think she lost that. I don't think she loses it. It's just the reality is that everyone else in that simulation are not themselves. Because of the fact that Lily proved she is more than her simulation, you could infer that other people could also be more than their simulation. But in this case, they are just their simulation. Jamie is just the data that has been put into who he is. And it's very limiting. But they're like, it's paradise. I just think it's a false paradise. I, I think know, it's I really like sad. Up until that moment, so far... It seemed that no one had ever strayed, excuse me, from the, I mean, from their determinist pathways that they had. So in some ways, yeah, I agree that surely the simulation could be wrong about how people will behave. But so far as it predicted so much, mm -hmm. it probably won't make a difference. It, it will be a minute difference. And the conversation Katie has at the end is it is virtually undetectable you won't really be able to tell the difference but there still will be a minute difference and i think that's where at least the show is seeming to indicate that that difference can matter quite a lot because by choosing to take that action everything changes the machine no longer works so it's not reality it's not one to one it might but be very very just, close it's just a minute difference i think it's all of the differences so one of them right. is true but so one of them is is likely and that was i feel like that was his problem with the with everett's approach anyway and that's the reason that she tells him like okay if we run the simulation with your backup in it according to everett's principle or linden's principle whichever one well, you Lyndon was the character and they were drawing yeah from yeah i know but yeah. linden was drawing from everett so but <laughs> um as so much as it, it runs on that then not only will they be in this one timeline they'll be in all of them Right, and that was the end monologue where it's cutting and showing different lighting and showing how there are versions of them that are in a hell to every paradise. There is the inverse, which is their hellish existence or suffering. And so he sort of says to her, like, be happy, smile. We got the good we one. Got a good one. Out. But everybody got a good one and also a bad one. It's, it's all of the yeah, universes. I, so. I guess. I guess what that sort of is a conclusion accepted again is confined to whatever data they put in there, which I don't think there is enough data in the world to capture something that doesn't translate to data. Like, her her making that decision was something that they couldn't put information in. There was well, just some sort of moment where it couldn't in, in do In the it. way that they decided to render it, because... Right, but I can't think of... And obviously, so, I, I like this show because I think it really just is willing to dive headfirst into some pretty like heady sci-fi stuff. 
And I don't know if you've been watching Westworld, but Westworld is doing yeah. such an eerily similar plot. You mean almost the exact same plot. I know. More interesting. <laughs> I, I don't think as interesting, though, because it's like an action movie. It feels very stripped down to like, oh so-and-so wants to, like, gain the stock market, and then, like, they rebel in this. But this feels, like, much more stripped down and, like, personal in some way. I feel the opposite way, but I did really enjoy Devs. I just felt that it really drew on some, I don't know, some sort of basic theoretical ideas. Right. And then just said, okay, well, what if this were real, and made it play out with some minor plot points. I feel like... What I like about Westworld so far is that they've taken a similar idea and added a lot more plot. (laughs) Right. In terms of scope, Westworld is much more expansive, and I think that's because it was building upon two previous seasons and trying to expand it and reinvent itself into this like broad world. Very well. I feel like they. I feel like they created those prequels, but they didn't necessarily need to. They would have come been more fun if they put them at the end. They should have put it at the end. I agree with you up until this last episode because I didn't like the last episode of Westworld, but we can do a separate podcast about that. Okay, another time. fine. Um, <laughs> what, what I'll say is this, is that Devs is much more small in scope, but still very large in ambition, if that makes sense. I agree. Because it, it at a certain point becomes unimportant about Sergei's involvement with the Russians and all this <laughs> other stuff. It much more is about the themes of choice and destiny and whether everything is predetermined. And that's much more interesting in this. It is, it is in Westworld with Aaron Paul's character as to like whether his life would have ended with him on that pier taking his own life. But, but I think the Westworld really see, we're still going to end up talking about Westworld. I, I feel like Westworld added the option of choice as a more obvious aspect to the right. machine. So, like, obviously the machine controls everything, but if we control the machine and we realize that certain inputs create certain outputs and we can manipulate that, which I think is something that devs really overlooked in a way that's fine because of causal loops and okay, fine. But the fact that they watched what happened over and over again and it is so ingrained in the events that follow that they know that those events are following. I was just, I was frustrated. Here's the thing that I think is different about what they're trying to do in Westworld and what they're trying to do in Devs. In Devs, Nick Offerman's Forest is less interested in altering the future and more interested in reclaiming the past, which is the loss of his daughter and wife and trying to go back and somehow change that. And by sort of being grounded in this past, he seems to think everything is fixed. And that's why the scene where Forrest and Katie are both so shocked when Lily throws the gun out, because it has shattered their entire sort of faith and worldview in this thing, that they had almost become blindly obedient to. But I don't understand why, because Forrest challenges it halfway through the season, and they just decide not to. There, what do you mean? When? There's a moment where they're sitting and they're watching themselves. or I don't know if they're watching themselves. They're watching something. And they're he says to her, what if we... Yeah, they're watching the simulation. And he says, well, what if we go, we play it a minute in the future, we see you fold your arms or something, and then you just decide to not do it until the clock runs out. And they just don't do it. And I do not understand why. Because he, for them, they had already convinced themselves it wouldn't happen. But I don't understand how as scientists... They just never decide to test that at all. Because I am convinced that at least Forrest is less of a scientist and more of a tech startup executive. And I think those are important and different. And I think some of the comments Jamie says and then what Lily then repeats about tech bros essentially being messiahs and thinking they have all this power, that they're blind to their own mistakes. They have blind spots and they just are unaware of them. And I think I it took like Lily to was the one who was always challenging all of these ideas that he he was just invested in them because if they weren't true, he wasn't going to be able to successfully do what he set out to, which he was already really obsessed with. But 
I don't know. There's this sort of interaction between him and Katie, and Katie just is so set in her beliefs already. If right. anything, I think she's more shocked than he is when Lily makes the decision to right. disobey, I guess, the things that she she has learned. Mm-hmm. So I just I don't see why no one ever tests it. Because all of every all of the characters who ever get to see this simulation at some point see themselves or and have the option to defy it. And no one ever does. Can I can I say what my theory is about why? Yes. And this is gonna be one of the times I swear. They bought into their own bullshit. And they had so convinced themselves that what they had created was a hundred percent correct that they believed a hundred percent that they could not do anything. Which I think was most clear in the scene in the episode before this when Lyndon comes back and Katie convinces Lyndon, you need to stand on the edge of this thing. And that is a test of faith in this principle. Yeah. And Lyndon did not have to do that. Lyndon was very capable, just like Lily, to make a different decision, but had so heavily bought into it. Because if you think about it, they were probably working on this for years. And it almost became its own religious fanaticism, which they start to really get into, I think, as some of the the plot points develop in this last episode, but yeah, we can I talk about that a, in a minute. I, mean, I think there's a lot of foreshadowing of that, really starting with the first episode where she, she starts talking about how people who aren't religious, even in certain events, will start to pray. So, yeah. like, a lot of religious allegory. Yeah. Like when, and the first thing they wanted to see was Jesus. Right, but <laughs> okay. but I think they they did that because of the fact that they themselves were already creating this as sort of this idolatry in and of itself. Like, even if they weren't all religious, they were like, this is the new religious thing. This is the yeah, new... They didn't want to be magicians. And I, I guess that's the part that I don't get. That it's not even so much that they bought into it, but they, they didn't even want to test if they were wrong for fear that they might be wrong. Because they never could be. They had they had so become the idea that they were playing God that they themselves thought they were flawless. And Lily disrupting that was unimaginable to them. And so I think you're more like Lily. But it wasn't I think. unimaginable because Forrest basically walks through that possibility verbatim halfway through the but season. But I, I think he does that to then say, like, it wouldn't actually happen. Because then we see the separate scene later where all of them see themselves in that same room and the one person will say the line and then the next person will say it like but it's not the same situation as having a, a planned idea the way that he does with katie in that moment and how they i mean it's it's just used as a tool for foreshadowing but it's completely disregarded in a way that i do not think that people whose lives are revolve around tests and proofs would do again i don't think okay. i don't think I don't think Forrest's life revolves around that. I think it revolves around this devout belief that he can change the world, play God, and bring his daughter back. I think that is what he has convinced himself of more than anything else. Does that make sense? Katie, okay, so... Because Katie's an actual scientist. Katie is an actual scientist. Theoretical, but still... Theoretical scientists. Wow, taking a shot at theoretical scientists. I'm a philosophy. I was a philosophy major. I can take shots at whoever. Oh yeah, <laughs> taking all covers. Okay, I think the difference is with Katie, and I would have to go back and watch it. But the first introduction where she's in a class and is frustrated with what the professor is saying, and to the point of walking out. And I think Forrest knew that and played that because he was aware that would push her buttons. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what ends up being Katie's defining characteristic, which is to say that she believes in herself so devoutly that her worldview supersedes anything else, and that she is so convinced that she was leading the charge on this so correctly that they are all going to be right. I think she is less buying into the principle and more into her own infallibility. I think she is. I think they're arrogant. I do. I think they're arrogant. I don't arrogant. think that Forrest is as arrogant as Katie. 
Okay, maybe Forrest is more deluded, but I think there yeah. is some arrogance to attempting to play God and Lily exposing. Well, he didn't her. attempt. He really succeeded in playing God. A false God, though, because that's what that's what. I Lily think it also him. depends on whether or not you think the world is determinist. I I but I think I'm telling you, it. I'm telling you, I think the show is going down this path where it's like everything is determinist and then Lily's action subverts that. So I think the show and what they're trying to say, it doesn't think everything is determinist. Because well, the characters that Lily, do... But not after Lily. Because if you could see all the way back into history and as far forward as Lily, then as far as the system is, con- is concerned and as far as the system is playing God, Lily changes everything. So before right. Lily, there wasn't free will. Mm. Or none of these things would be predictable. I that think, would have gone as, as the simulation expected. I think there are many Lilies out there. It is just I, a question of her getting the courage to do that in some way. I don't think that there are pre-Lily. I mean, I think there's a, always the possibility of choice. And I feel like yeah. maybe that's what they were they were playing with in that scene where Forrest is talking to Katie that frustrates me so much is that there was always the possibility, but nobody ever had ever done it until Lily, because if so, they wouldn't have been able to look back. Also, sidebar. Okay. Sidebar. What is the catalyst for the system not working? Lily taking a choice and the data being incorrect that it could not have predicted what she did. Huh? Um, and I wasn't sure about that because of what you're talking about, where prior they watch everything that they think happens and they think, well, I thought it might be the vacuum, the vacuum. Mm, no, I don't think it's that it like literally disrupts the machine, but it because does the, because the system the, exists in a vacuum. Yeah. But the machine is still vacuum sealed because the doors close and they're on their way over. And then in the one, uh, potential future she shoots Forrest and it goes through the glass creating mm-hmm. a breach but the machine is still intact so in a literal sense it is still being preserved in this vacuum sealed room and isn't disrupted from outside air coming in or whatever it is merely the act of disrupting things and making a choice against the data that means it has ripple effects where it cannot know everything that will happen. So anytime they disagree with that, I think that there's a symbolic representation that's maybe a little more important than that in the breaking of the vacuum, because when you make these sort of arguments, particularly, I mean, about quantum physics and about determinism, you often discuss it as if it is within a vacuum. And the fact that they, they discuss and they make it so pertinent for you to understand that the system runs within a vacuum. And for that moment to even have this blaring announcement, the vacuum has been broken. I, I think that that's, I don't know, more important symbolically. I think that's her choice because either way, whether she makes the choice or not, the machine stops working supposedly. So I think the machine even, is still working. It is just not able to predict things exactly, and simulate things I, in the future. But I don't think it's just because of her decision. I think it's because of the breaking of the vacuum. I think I think I understand what you're saying. And maybe there is sort of a nod to that being not just a literal vacuum, but, oh, everything happening in a vacuum. Now the world is work. rushing in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that a little bit. But I also think it is the significance of Lily's choice and the idea that she is able to upend the idea of determinism and Forrest and Katie are shown to be so far off based on this one decision that every, because they're the ones making it, the machine is just as fallible as they are. All of their predictions are just as fallible as they are. And that means it will never be able to perfectly predict things because people are always going to make mistakes or be incorrect and Lily exposed that by showing that their blind faith in determinism was wrong. So Stuart. <laughs> yes, I wanted to get to Stuart a lot. Stuart. Um I'm frustrated because he says that his action was predetermined. I yeah. don't know if he's taking a shot at Katie or not. Oh, I think he's absolutely taking a shot at Katie. 
I, I think he might be taking a shot at Katie, but if he isn't, I feel like the answer is in all of his random monologues, but I did not go back to listen to them. Um, but if he isn't, mm-hmm. is it possible that the system showed him something else? Um, maybe. Like that, that he it, had a different vision of what was going to happen, which was him making the choice to break the vacuum. Yeah, like, and, you know, just moments before that happens, they've shown that the system can be defied. Stuart doesn't seem surprised by this at all. So he either, knew defying was coming? Yeah, either he knew that the defiance was coming, or he never watched the moment. One or the other. I don't think he ever watched the moment. I think only I think Katie and Forrest know. But see, Stuart, only- I, I think he did, only because Stuart was always breaking the rules. <laughs> Yeah, I know. And I think he's established pretty early on as somebody who will break the rules. And the second that Forrest and Katie aren't around, he really becomes, you know, in charge. So, you know, in that room full of developers, he's clearly the one who is the senior most developer. Hmm. So, so I guess I'm just, I'm really confused about Stewart's action because also my question about whether or not it was the vacuum or Lily's choice. If it was <laughs> Lily's choice that made the, that, that eh, that broke the system. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't Stewart's actions be wholly unnecessary? Why no. did he need to do this to to stop the machine? Because it it mandated a complete. So the poem he's reading at the beginning, right? Which I looked up. It's the it's the second coming. It's a Yeats poem, and it's really good. Um, which I won't read a lot of it. I think people should just watch it. And it's good. But it's all about how everything is disrupted. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. Mm-hmm. So, sure, Stuart very much could have just let them come across, but Lily's action in and of itself was what elicited that, because now everything was off the rails. Okay, Stuart, but if that's the case, then why does Stuart need to, to commit this action? Because in his mind, he needs to stop them. But how does he even know that? If he didn't watch the moment, I'm just, I'm very confused about what Stuart's knowledge is in this. Because if he knows that the, the machine is bound to break and there's going to be literal breach in the vacuum, Mm -hmm. then he's already watched the moment. And if he's watched the moment, then he knows how it played out and that things have already gone awry. And so So, he decides to embrace the awryness, the anarchy. Is that what you're saying? Like he plays into it. Yeah, I guess I just, I don't understand why he would need to play into it to, as, just to kill Lily and Forrest. It because just doesn't fully make sense to me, except in some poetic way. But as far as following the actual logic of the moment, I don't get it. Because in his mind, that was the logical choice. That by doing this, instead of them dying in the way that Forrest had predicted, he will be the one to kill them. He will be the one to disrupt it in the same vein that Lily did, if but that see, makes that's sense. That's what makes me think that the vacuum seal breaking is what stops <laughs> the prediction. That, Personally. That's that it was just, had to do that? Yes, that it had it was something that had to be done for the machine to stop working because they don't actually know what causes the machine to stop okay. working. They that's, just think that Lily's actions have something to do with it. Well the machine is still working, it is just not able to predict because yeah. the fact that they send Forrest and Lily to the simulation means the machine is still working. Yes. In some yes, capacity. Absolutely. I, I do I do mean the predictive nature of it. Okay. So the disrupting of the predictive nature of it was possibly contingent upon the seal being broken. Except exactly. again, the doors have closed behind them, so the seal hasn't broken. The elevator which is well, why, by the but, way, but it says that there's a vacuum breach the first time when she when she shoots him, even though the doors have closed behind him in that situation as no, well. But it's a vacuum breach alarm signifying that the little cube that they are in, the vacuum has been broken in that. But not it's not in, just that, it's also the electromagnetic field that creates the vacuum. Okay, it's so if, if it's off, the field that surrounds them and is. the machine falling disrupting, that possibly could be part of it, yes. Because otherwise, Stuart's actions just seem unnecessary to me. Like, it's great for theatrics, but I just feel like it has to mean more than that. I think it is more than that for Stuart. I think his reading of the poem 
his realization that not just theatrically i think it it, functionally there has to be something maybe i'm giving the writers too much credit but i do feel like (laughs) there has to mean something that he felt that this action still needed to be taken for someone to stop this because she asks him why right and he says because it was predetermined but i think he's being intentionally sarcastic right so if, if it's not going to be lily it seems to me that lily has made her choice and in making her choice has decided to not be that person and so Stuart takes it upon himself to do it well I think they're both acting in the same vein I think Lily choosing not to follow the path that was set out for her choosing not to kill him which in itself was an interesting thing because it was not continuing this because okay Forrest doesn't take a lot of accountability for the violence that he does and Lily could have been justified in getting revenge but she chooses not to and i think that's interesting stewart choosing to do that reminded me a lot more of the end of ex machina which was also written and directed by the same director alex garland and it feels more of all of these rules that we have been following it is still dangerous and i think it is too dangerous to sort of let continue and stewart taking that action was what he thought the best way to stop it if that makes sense it was his own motivation and i think it was his own choice it wasn't predetermined he was being sarcastic yeah that yeah i I considered he might be being a little tongue-in-cheek there right and so he was making his own decision because after that point everything was up in the air there was no determinism it was all free will it was his own choice and katie not being able to comprehend that after at one moment being horrified that their projections had been wrong, and then in the next moment, being horrified that he ended up dying anyway, which I the first time I was like sort of looking through it and I tried to play it back, I was like, wait a minute, how did they die? And then I was like, oh, it's vacuum sealed. There's probably not oxygen, or it's mm-hmm. the electromagnetic field that is messing with them. And But also it might just be impact. I don't know. Uh I don't think so, because I think you they do survive the initial impacts. Oh, okay. Then, then yeah, they probably suffocated. Yeah. But separate thing, very dangerous elevator. That's that's a very <laughs> sketchy way. It's not even from... really an elevator. <laughs> they could have just had a tunnel. That's what they make they at the did. end. I don't know but why. That, but here, that's the thing. I think it's that this is another part of me being invested in this vacuum idea. Uh-huh. And it's just the greater idea of performing certain experiments within the vacuum that it's not necessary anymore because that part was predicated on being performed in a vacuum. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. I understand what you're saying. So afterwards, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter whether it's a hallway or whatever because that the function vac- isn't working anymore. Okay. But then she was like, "We Katie is like, we still need to keep it functioning. Otherwise, Forrest dies. False paradise world no longer exists and he dies. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. I okay. I would need to watch it again, and I think there's some good stuff to be found watching it again. Absolutely. I just think what's the most interesting is like the plot almost becomes secondary, and I think that's maybe like a little bit of a flaw for some people. I but, like that, but you and I always disagree on that sort of thing. Well, I'm saying for some people, I'm not saying for me. I oh, think really? it's cool because it almost ends up being like, oh, this story you thought you knew, this more conventional plot development. The last episode, it's like, oh, yeah, this is just, like, very much more invested in the entire ideology that they've been pushing being completely thrown out the window by Lily's actions. And I thought that was the most interesting ending they could have done. I thought they stuck the landing. I didn't think they were going to. I think the end of the show is a lot stronger than the beginning of the show, if that makes any sense. But that's almost because the beginning of the show is more conventional in some ways where it's like, oh, there's uh, a mystery that they have to solve and um, there's governments, or not government secrecy, but like corporate conspiracies that's going on. But then it almost like, once they get to introducing Katie, especially, and they do that cool effect where they show Katie walking out and um, every single different version of her future where mm-hmm. she drops her books or goes mm-hmm. this way or stands that way all of the all the times they do that it's interesting and that's where the show kind of i think hits its stride where it becomes where they introduce everett 
Yeah, where they introduce Everett and really begin to dive deep into that. And I really dig that much more than sort of a straightforward like, oh, yeah, it's we know the future. It's just like, no, we're like trying to understand this, but they're buying into their own sort of false understanding, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought it was good. I wasn't dumping on it, sincerely. I I thought it was good, too. I liked that. I don't. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just going to compare it to a movie that you don't like because do it, Joker. Do it. Um, <laughs> Wait, hold on. That's nonsense. But I will, I will say that in comparison, though, I, I think that there is something similar about the way that they uh, kill off each plot that seems like it might be important okay. in something no, more no, philosophical. No, no, no. We disagree because you don't like the other movie. It's fine. I'm just There's making the comparisons for me because I w- that's what I was thinking about. Even before we started the conversation, after I finished the episode, I thought it was interesting they started off with all these different plots that could be pertinent. But I think that what they did that was more, I don't know, maybe creative and maybe just acceptable is that they actually killed each plot. Okay, so character death. I'm gonna I'm gonna offer a brief rebuttal on that. I think there's a difference between killing off certain elements of a plot in order to give life to something else that's more interesting, more dynamic, more engaging, mm-hmm. richer ideas. What happened? You described in, both of these things to me. No, I haven't. What happened? You did is an abandonment of some <laughs> of those rich ideas for. Joker man like goes around and kills stuff and then ends up being a linking into oh see Bruce Wayne's parents did die and it's just like I think this is just was a difference in reception of the film because I saw them Mm -hmm. killing off these different plot points in lieu of something more interesting like this philosophical exploration of a character who was being abandoned by a system and maybe takes on a more rebellious form. No, but, but here's the thing. He denied that and was like, oh, yeah, I'm just an anarchist, blah, blah, blah. But then it's I like, no, I do have a motivation. It's a position. <laughs> I, I just so disagree. Not all anar- anarchists are as um, distinctly political because part of it, a part okay, of anarchy is it fine. being um, fundamentally an anti-system. I think so. you give so much more credit to Joker. And I think I would encourage you to watch it again, now knowing watch what you it. know, and not... Watch it again, because I I think you need to realize. <laughs> Watch it like four times, James. Watch it four times. Okay, I genuinely think that there are interesting ideas in that movie, but I do not I think the end to result. Argue about Joker again. I came to say that devs did something that Joker also did, but better. Oh my god. Okay, <laughs> we'll agree on that and say that devs did something better. If I may offer my own comparison, since you just did. An absurd one. Um, <laughs> Rude, but carry on. What this show reminds me of, did you watch Mr. Robot at all? I did not, because I only have Netflix. You know that. Okay, I know. And how were you talking about uh, Westworld? Oh, I've been relying on various people's <laughs> There's been a lot of different kinds of theft. Okay. <laughs> I think uh, I've used at least four different HBO accounts to feed this Westworld addiction. Alright. Well, we'll, we'll do a Westworld episode at some point. Um, but no. HBO right now, so we'll see how it goes. Okay. Um, no, but what happens in Mr. Robot is they sort of have the more conventional plot of he is a hacker and part of this like group that's trying to bring down the system, and that happens, but it sort of very clearly becomes more interested in these richer ideas, the story and the plot beats are still there, and there are some great episodes within that, but it's very much more narrowed in scope about characters and the decisions they make and their own sort of ideas underpinning those things, and I think that's more interesting. It's like very... So there are sci-fi movies that are like action and like Star Wars and much more pew-pew lasers that type of stuff. But this is this is the type of sci-fi that I think Alex Garland seems especially interested in. I think this is the one where he's leaned into it maybe the most in some ways because this feels yes, it's a TV show, but especially the last half it just feels like a very long Alex Garland movie. And I don't know. I thought it I thought it did all those things really interestingly and really well even though the beginning 
didn't really do anything unique and i was sort of at the beginning like this feels different but the whole reason it felt sort of conventional at the beginning was to make the impact of it taking a turn and being more unconventional towards the end much more impactful if that makes sense yeah it does okay and that's mr robot what 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 I said I haven't seen Mr. Robot, but I understand. I know, I know. I I would recommend Mr. Robot. Um, and I think I don't even want to say anything. I don't want to poison anybody going into it. They're still very different. Like Devs is very much its own thing. Mr. Robot is very much its own thing. But I think there's more in common that the two have than people realize. Um, and I don't know. Just based on the idea that the story, quote unquote, plot ends up becoming secondary to more rich, interesting ideas about how the characters decide to do things. And in this, it's with Lily. In um, Mr. Robot, it's with Elliot deciding to undo a lot of the things he does and have to cope with the world in ways that are very wild once you realize looking back on it, especially that Sam Esmail planned out the whole thing. Um, but that's like three seasons of television. This is only one season and I think it probably should only be one season. I don't think a next season of devs would really make sense. Like, what would they do? It would be like, mm, oh, yeah. we, have to, we have to bring them back. Or, <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe, I don't know, Lily might try to break it again. I don't know. Wait, how? so she would break the simulation within the simulation? Yeah. How? I mean, because, I mean, it could be as likely that the original life that she was leading was a simulation as a simulation that she's currently in so if they decided to redevelop devs i don't know I so just, they I developed just devs within the simulation of devs within the devs yeah i mean i just I, I mean i just think there are possibilities but i don't want to, to see them i like the idea of it ending here i think yeah. it's really strong and if they haven't planned any further i, I don't want to see what they come up with trying to scramble to make a show more successful than it already is this is fine yeah <laughs> I, I could see them maybe doing it as a anthology show where it becomes sci-fi sort of stories where there's a different technology or a different idea explored or a different principle explored with an entirely new group of characters, entirely new different situation. But I would say the story of Lily needs to kind of end here because anything else would sort of just kind of cheapen what ends up happening in some ways. Have you but, seen? Sorry, Karen. go ahead. I was just going to ask you if you've seen Mister Nobody. No, I haven't seen Mister Nobody, but I've heard it recommended to me quite a bit. I just I don't know there... if you'd like it. I'm going to be honest about it. I don't like it, it <laughs> because I think theoretically it is an interesting film in a way that is similar to me as Devs. Okay. Um, I mean, it's. I guess the order of operations is a little bit different because basically he has a choice to make and right. he's allowed to remember different possible future versions of himself. Okay. And so he's explaining this to this journalist, his life because he's like the oldest man in the world or something. Mm -hmm. um, something like that. Some reason they're interviewing him because humanity has managed to conquer mortality. And he's just going on this sort of long philosophical tangent about the different possible selves that he could have become and there's one which he has to choose to whether or not to live with his mother or his father and the different selves he becomes then and then at the end he sort of reveals that neither of them were true they were just possible options and he decides to make a third decision so it makes it seem like oh he's has one of two choices and he walks through both of them throughout the entire movie and then says there was always a third choice and i became someone else entirely the main hang up i have how is like it. how is how is Jared Leto in it? He's Mr. Nobody. He's the main character. I know. How is Jared Leto as a performer and actor in it? Because I don't every every Jared Leto performance I've seen, I've been like, okay. This yeah. this is Jared Leto. And I kind of can just see it. Like, even in this, in Devs, I didn't see Nick Offerman for a lot of it. Like, I thought he genuinely was really good. Uh, I don't think he is as obviously himself. Uh, I think he's a little better. I think wish they would give... I know he's an eccentric, and they want to give him eccentric roles. I wish they would give him more normal roles, because I think he's better at them. 
Um, yeah, and he also tried to lean into a lot of the like method acting in yeah. a way that just doesn't feel authentic. Like I, I would rather he just be an actor, whereas opposed yeah. to like sending people rats as the Joker, because then it's just like people are going to be like, "What a what a jerk! Why are you doing this? Just just act." It's 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 a thing where you are not meant to literally be that person and replicate it. The whole idea is you are a different person. But I've just always been like, Jared Leto is weird, and he does weird yeah. things. This is definitely still a weird thing. I do not think as an actor there is as much eccentricity, but I do think that the plot is very eccentric, so maybe it doesn't matter. Okay. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, just the framing and the direction of it, it's clearly somebody who said, oh, I'm going to make this crazy story, and you know who I think would be perfect? Jared Leto. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but... I wish he'd been a little more normal, but I I don't think it's okay. it's as eccentric as Suicide Squad or Dallas Buyers Club. Oh yeah, yeah. Speaking whole of separate, whole separate issue with Dallas Buyers Club. Uh, similar issue with devs. Yeah, I was waiting for you to bring this up. Go ahead. Side note: <laughs> I don't think that was necessary. I think that they could have casted a young trans boy to do this. That is all. Does do they ever explicitly say that Lyndon? Yes, they is- do. They, wow. they wait till like three fourths through the show after Lyndon has already been fired to speak about him in a way that reveals his pronouns. Okay. Um, what did they say uh, they just they're just talking about him, but they're okay. talking about him using his appropriate pronouns. Okay. I think the scene where he based where where Katie tells Forrest that he fucked up essentially. By firing Lyndon because his approach worked for everything. Right. And they all end up using that approach, which is especially rough. Lyndon gets the biggest rough end of the whole deal. Rough deal. I don't know why Katie needed to do this uh, besides that she thought that she had to. And that's right, really upsetting. Right. I guess. <laughs> I guess is, it, is it something where you think it. I don't know. It it it's it's something I'd have to go back and watch in that scene because I was cued into it and thinking about it very frequently whenever Lyndon was there. But could it be that it is just that Lyndon uses he him pronouns and is not explicitly trans? People can possible. do that. You are right. Yeah, you're right. I I agree, but <laughs> I do think. That they open themselves up to criticism by just casting a presumably cisgender woman acting okay, fine, but I'm just saying. I know, I know, I hear just, you. Just at this point in history, you know, when they make it, when anybody can play anybody, go ahead, do what you want, pick the actors you want, who cares? But <laughs> I feel like it was a touch tone deaf, but all right. Okay. I would have to look into some interviews where they've talked to the actress's name is Kaylee Spaney. Um, she was in Bad Times at the El Royale. She was in On the Basis of Sex. She's lovely. She's oh. lovely. She did a great job, too. <laughs> she was in Pacific Rim Uprising. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. <laughs> I mean, she did a fantastic job. Oh, no. It is, love Lyndon. <laughs> it is possible to have it be something worth criticizing and discussing while having it be that you recognize that everyone did a good job. But I also think that um, in a greater scale, if we move closer and closer to actors of different gender identities being able to play anyone, including mm. cisgender characters, then it should be as big of a problem. But right now it still is. So I know, I, I know. A little bit more sensitive. Speaking of some of the other actors in it, um, did you recognize who played Lily? Uh, I mean, I know who she is. I didn't see that movie. I never watched Oh, that. are you sure? Which movie? The La La Land or whatever. Wait, what? <laughs> I also didn't see Crazy Rotations. I know she's in both of those. She is? Yes, she is. Well, that wasn't what I was referring to. I was referring to a previous Alex Garland movie. Oh. Oh, hey, I actually do remember her from Ex Machina. Yeah, see, there yeah. you go. <laughs> Now that you mention it, yes, she's beautiful. (laughs) I know, but I think it's like really good physical performance because I think what they talked about is she had a background in ballet and that's part of the reason they had her in Ex Machina because all of the androids' movements are very fluid and that requires like 
very physical, strong muscles. And it it took me a while because in this I was like, wow, she's just very different in how she carries herself, her mannerisms. But then it's like, oh, wow, she's really able to like differentiate herself. She's like the opposite Jared Leto. Um, I mentioned a haircut. Haircuts go very far. Haircuts go very far, but I, I just don't think underselling sort of how she carried herself, the physical characterization of her of her performance is should be understated. I don't know. I, I thought guess I wasn't. Was really I didn't find her as compelling, but that's fine with me. How come? She's beautiful. Um, I I guess I just didn't. You ever see a film in which you think the main character does? a great job carrying the story, but you don't leave, you know, the theater feeling like, wow, that person is an amazing actor. Sure. I guess I feel that way about her. I, w- I mean, I would love to see her in more things because I just like to see more Asian American women star in films is the truth. <laughs> huh. But I, I didn't feel like her performance was super compelling as much as I felt like the writing and the plot was very compelling. That's but, you know, communicating that is also a skill. Just it's medium, and I like her. <laughs> if if you like her, you should you should watch the show Maniac. She I did watch Maniac. Character. Yeah, she's great, in Maniac. I don't know. I I haven't. I don't. I saw Crazy Rich Asians once and don't remember a lot of it. Um, but that was because it was like watching with a bunch of people. She was in Annihilation briefly, but that might have been a side background role. Um, but no, yeah. She's she's good. Um, she's yeah, going to be in a TV series called The Flight Attendant that's coming up, that and then goes. a movie called Mouse Guard, which both just sound very strange. <laughs> oh no, maybe she's just going to do strange movies from now on. I I'm hope fine. not. I'm fine with strange movies. Uh, what I like to see, but see, this is like the Jared Leto problem. Just be in some more normal movies once in a while. Okay, okay. You have to be weird every time just to be good. Okay. I know it's more memorable because odd films are more memorable, but I just would like to see. <laughs> I don't know. I I like ambitious sort of things that break the mold. I think Nick Offerman, who is normally a comedic actor, being 100% straight, except for a few sort of like funny moments, is like really, really good. And again, oh, yeah, the hair helps. Great. But the, yeah. hair, the, the hair change really helped me not see him or I would have because the first couple episodes I couldn't I just couldn't let go of the sound of his voice why (laughs) because I was waiting for a punchline and it kept coming he kept saying things that were adjacently funny and I was like I know don't do it (laughs) I think they were trying to ease us into it where it was like just be safe everything's okay Nick is still funny he's cracking a few jokes but that makes his sort of darker turn that much more terrifying I don't find him scary I I do for the whole thing. Even in the beginning, when Sergey is killed and he's just sort of watching, I found him sad from the very beginning. <laughs> he's he's definitely sad, sad but he's I think it is the idea. He's got sad eyes, but it is also the idea that sad people are capable of really, really scary things, and yeah, that's what sort of hit me. Make me feel like he was evil, but also maybe it's because immediately following that that scene with Sergey. Not even the this sorry film the scene even the scene with Sergey where he's offering this sort of weird pointless acceptance of an apology that never came. Mm-hmm. I just just the whole thing was just really heavy with guilt. His entire yeah. performance was heavy with guilt in a way that I never saw him as the bad guy, and I think that is why Katie was introduced anyway. She is such a foil to so much of his behavior. Like, where he is emotional, she is cool and calculated. But Forrest still chose to do all of that. It's true, but I think it's his performance and his character make it harder to blame him than it is to to blame Katie, who I think smiles a total of five times (laughs) in the duration of the show, which was fantastic because it made it seem like, I don't know, huge character development whenever she smiled. Right. But... I, I, I think, think maybe more than five necessary because it was it was so hard to hate him. Yeah, yeah. The only person I want to give one more shout out to is uh, Stephen Henderson as Stuart. He is in so many good things, always in the background, but he's great. And I wish I saw him in more things. He's just always so good. And I wanted to 
transition a little bit because Mr. Henderson is in Dune. And I know I am not familiar with Dune. I'm going to read it. Um, But he's the character Thufir Hawat. I don't know who that is, but he's definitely (laughs) in some of the uh, images. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm probably going to read it. And I just have wanted to talk about it because it looks good. Um, I kind of wish Alex Garland had maybe had a chance to direct Dune because sort of heady sci-fi seems like the type of thing he'd be good at. I do think we'll see how it goes. Well, okay. I like Denis Villeneuve and I think Arrival is great. I just, I was less a fan of Blade Runner 2049, but that oh, might I be loved a product. Blade Runner 2049 because I didn't like the first Blade Runner. And that's Agreed. I, I have my problems with the first Blade Runner and think it's it is a boring. Bit... <laughs> that's what everybody says. Yeah, because that's there... the problem. You think Blade Runner 2049 was not boring? It was considerably less boring. <laughs> <laughs> The plot kept moving. It did keep moving. <laughs> what do you think of Arrival? Put you to sleep the first four times you try to watch it, and I can't. Well, what did you think of Arrival? I haven't seen Arrival. Okay, you should see Arrival, and Arrival is what I would be most interested in Dune being. And it's it's not of a full novel, but it is based on a series of short stories, and so that makes me more interested. Um, but yeah, I think it's great that he was in this and then gets to be in the new Dune movie whenever that decides to come out, which is probably going to be, like, December. Straight (sighs) to streaming services. Today is your day. Um, I I, I want it to be out in theaters December 18th, but I anticipate them maybe having to push that. If that doesn't happen, I originally thought it was going to be a straight-to-Netflix thing. Nah, I don't think think it's going to work for that. I think they need people to see it in theaters, because, I don't know. It's, It's... it's already going to be a movie that I can anticipate seeing it come out and broad audiences not really understanding or appreciating it. I'm not trying to do that sort of like pretentious, like, oh, you didn't get it. But it's going to be a little bit heady sci-fi, not Star Wars, in other words. And so if it's on Netflix, I can't see a bunch of people doing like a watch party together. It has to be one of those first new movies out in theaters. That's true, but we might have to reimagine what that looks like because we have no idea how long this is going to last. I know. LA saying there's going to be no like large public events in 2020. So Yeah, I don't think there will be. And I don't think until we develop that vaccine that there should be any. People oh, don't boy. like that, but we might have to be inside for a couple of years. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I, mean, I just don't think that enough people are getting con- comfortable with the concept of indefinitely. <laughs> like that until, like that we we saw this pandemic grow from a few cases. I know. An international pandemic in one month. In what world would we be allowed to go back outside and socialize if there's a possibility of even one asymptomatic person having it? It's just not going to happen. I know. I know. It's the new normal. But while we're in this new normal, we'll be doing podcasts. And next week, we're going to talk about (laughs) Little Fires Everywhere, a book both of us have read. And the last episode of the show will be on Wednesday, next Wednesday. Um, and then we'll, we'll talk about it after that. Um, I wanted to tweet about Dune because I have Dune, but I don't want to talk to you guys about the plot of Dune right now. I want to read this tweet. (laughs) What is it? Yars von Tryhard at Warren is dead. Oh boy. (laughs) Everyone is talking about Dune. More and more people are asking me, Michael, what is the deal with Dune? What should I know about Dune? How do I prepare for Dune? Etc. What I can say is, have you ever wondered what Star Wars would be like if it did not give a shit about you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I saw that one. And I was so pleased. So hopefully the film lives up to that review. That that will be pretty good. Um, the last thing I was going to say is uh, just some movies if you're wanting to see this weekend coming out, new releases, they're still happening. Um, there's the movie Extraordinary, which I really liked, and it's really silly and has my favorite ending joke of a movie. It's sort of a spoof of possession movies, kind of like what we do in the shadows, but with ghosts. Would highly recommend that. Um, yeah, there's that. There's Sila and the Spades that you can watch that's streaming. Don't want to say much about that, but it's sort of a weird twist on the coming-of-age story. Um, Then the other one is A White, White World. That is a movie only I would like because it's just a sad man being sad. But it's also good, and you can watch all those movies. Um, Yeah, would you... I had one more thing to say. Go for it. That'll be our closing thought. What was it? 
Um, I was wondering if, I guess it's just a question for the director. You know how I always have these questions that yeah. no one can answer but them. I was wondering if they were inspired at all by Dark in Ooh. the direction. Because yeah. so much of the framing and the music choices, even the selective silence reminded me a lot of Dark. Mm-hmm. Which was interesting. It was really fun for pacing. But I would just, I really liked the comparison. It was one of the first things I thought about, you know, about one or two episodes in. Yeah, I bet there were some some parallels. People are always inspired by things. All great artists theft and all that. Um, yeah. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. Thank you, Quinnell, as always. Uh, thank you for having me. And I can't wait to talk to you about Little Fires Everywhere next yeah. week. Join us next week. Read the book. Watch the show. Do it all. We all got plenty of time. Uh, stay safe. Stay healthy, everyone. And we'll see you next week. And enjoy your checks. <laughs> enjoy your checks everybody bye bye